back in Otari and the library vault, the heroes set out to run their errands. Kruka headed to the crook's nook in search of a tattoo artist. They came upon the lively and inebriated wake for none other than the deceased Shad Nunder. Azorian Glash took a moment to fish in the shallow waters of an underground pond, and Glash decided it was time for him to return to the twisting dark lands and find his family again. And finally, Tulak, in a nervous lump, her Sal, met up with Tamily and Aloria at the Otari fishery for some drinks and a swapping of stories. Hello, creatures and denizens of the Uncharted World. This is Freeman from Uncharted North, and I am plugging your ear holes now with a little bit of a favor to ask. We really, really could use some help on the word-of-mouth end of our project. We want you to go out and tell a friend about one of our shows, or possibly the potential of future shows that might be in their interests. Word of mouth is incredibly important for a small network like ours. And each and every one of you can help another listener find us by mentioning us to, I don't know, a friend, uh, a game master, a dungeon master that you know, someone in the street. Pick a rando uh, wearing a cool hat or a gnarly shirt or some wicked boots. Just think about what Scott might wear and pinpoint that person. Uh, and then you pretty much bet they're going to be into this. Um that would go such a long way for us. Um, and we assume that some of you are already doing this because you're still listening. And that's really, really great. So we'd also like to remind uh, those who are doing this and helping us out uh, but have not done this yet uh, that we have a free public Discord where most of our dedicated fans hang out with uh, the crew and chat on a daily basis. You know, we chat about it all. We have laughs. We, we uh, support each other uh, with mental health. We just talk about gaming and different uh, games we want to play and movies and music and whatever. We talk about all of it. Uh, you can hit that up uh, easily through our website, unchartednorth.ca or unchartednorth.com slash discord will we'll, uh, send you straight to an invite link. And if you really like it, have the ability to help us move forward in creating um, more shows and receiving cool rewards in return. We've been working really hard on our Patreon structure uh, you can go to patreon.com slash uncharted north and find uh, what we have on offer for various tiers to become more involved, uh, a couple uh, little bits of paraphernalia and fun things, and um, and goals towards the future of what other shows we want to produce, how many more we would like to produce, and so on. Um, but that's it. Uh, we really, really appreciate you listening. Um, we hope that you've enjoyed most of the episodes so far. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We hope you stick around for more episodes as we uh, push forward and do more and more fun things. I don't want to take up any more of your time, so that's it from me. Thank you very much. Love, Freeman, a.k.a. The Barn.
Hey there, listeners. I just want to say thanks for joining us for episode 99. Uh, we were attempting to do something a little interesting, but it fell through. So instead, we're going to go to the user-suggested intro banter. Hold on. I got I to gotta clean some of this butter out of my ears. Oh, that's your voice coming through. That- oh, my God. <laughs> In your ear holes. This is the dulcet tones of Cam leaking into your brain. No, but seriously, on some real shit. Uh, Tropes you absolutely (laughs) hate or love. I'm actually, we'll we'll go in the order of the Discord call here. Dunk, what you got? Oh, don't say intro banter. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I got them. Stilted conversations sure do go down smooth in my ears. (laughs) The naturalism that we have on display here. Um, No, I I did put the in the meme in our Discord a little while ago about like that trope of, um, you know, somebody's just gets thrown into these insane circumstances and it's just like this everyday person that's like, has to figure it out. And then all of a sudden, oh no, you were the specialist little boy all along. And you come from a long line of special little boys. And it's like, I hate that they pull, like do that rug pull on you and make it like, Mm -hmm. make that everyday guy, just a a prophetic Jesus figure. I fucking hate like both, like the eugenics side of it, of like, you're the special boy from the special bloodline. And that's why you're able to do the special things. Like it completely fucking discounts. Like, everyday people doing good things on a regular fucking basis and it literally makes my blood boil like anytime it's like well actually they were the fucking special fucking like no stop they were there all along yeah yeah like Uh, just let the fucking person that was a common fucking person grow be fucking great like it yeah (laughs) it does not need to be like well actually their parents were six foot eight and like that's why they're no Yeah, and you look at how, like, for all the flaws that the new Star Wars movies had, how much they fucking tied themselves up in knots trying to figure that out and then unfigure it out and then refigure it out with Rey and her special, non-special, yeah. special lineage. You're like, yeah, and yeah. I mean, that one is a really poor example, but all of them just make me go, mm. fuck you. Either either be the special <laughs> little boy or don't, but none of this yeah, surprise don't special little boy. Don't it. give me a surprise birthday party for the special little boy. I- Honestly, no, I'm I'm over it. Like, don't give me special boys. I'm tired of special boys. The only good right. special boy story is Dune, and that's because the special boy is fucking evil. He is a bad person <laughs> and does bad things to a bunch of fucking people. So no spoilers. more special, no more special boys. No, I'm so I'm ha- over so it. Do I ha- do I or do I not have to make killing Tulak a priority now? That's what I want to know. Uh, I mean, let's see aristocrat bloodline or powers comes from bloodline freeman like i i i scott i'm sorry i'm sorry but yeah you gotta go bud you gotta you're not proletariat (laughs) you're not proletariat i'm sorry yo i have to step in here not for tulock but there have to be special boys because of my cat because if there's no special boys what's he gonna do uh, checkmated. You checkmated me so hard right there. Like, oh, fuck. My entire argument dashed. That cat sure. did pull a sword from a stone, so. <laughs> James, I see you stewing.
Yeah, this is a pretty easy one for me. Uh, and it, it all starts way back in 1994 in Green Lantern, Volume 3, Number 54. <laughs> of course it does. Okay, we all know what that oh, means. Oh, yeah, that so one. Why don't you explain so, yeah, Don't bother <laughs> elaborating. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, there will be people out there who know what, what, I'm, what I'm about to say. No, no. No, James, I want you to there. elaborate. I want to know. Take me on this deep dive with you. So this is, uh, this is a, a, a move uh, done by a writer called Ron Mars in which Kyle Rayner comes home to his apartment to find his villain at the time had not only killed his girlfriend, but stuffed her in a refrigerator. And this is the origin of the term fridging, when you kill a female or love interest in the first act in oh. order to inspire the hero. I think this yeah. is the laziest shit writers can possibly do. Go fuck yourself and get a better idea. Spoilers, they did that for the first season of the Amazon Wheel of Time. They invented... A female character just to do a fridging thing to make you care about a character that was already pretty much the best character in the goddamn story. It is. It was the most insufferable thing I've ever watched on television. I was, I was furious. <laughs> it's yeah. like it they was, also it love to do insane. that with gays. Yeah, they love to do yeah, that. With it, gays oh too. yeah, but oh. the first instance was Kyle Rayner's uh, girlfriend. No, yeah, time. no, you're specific. Yeah. Yeah. fridging. Mm-hmm. I did not Absolutely. know that. Yeah. Okay, and, that's actually quite interesting. Yeah, and big right. shout out to Gail Simone who ran the uh, the anti fridging movement back in 1999 against these creators. Uh, you you if if you don't know Gail Simone, you absolutely know her work. She had like a Im- very yes. impressive run on a bunch of different comics, uh, not limited to, okay. but including Red Sonia, Batgirl. Uh, she was the longest running writer, female writer of Wonder Woman. She did Deadpool and she did the Simpsons comic for like 10 years or something like that. So yeah, no, she's a yeah. beast. Crazy. She's an absolute beast. Yeah, she's she's wonderful. And she was the main antagonist against this. this uh, it, it, she called it women in refrigerators. <laughs> Um, but it is now colloquially known <laughs> as fridging. But yeah, fridging. Mm. And then, luckily, Indiana Jones came along to buck that trend. Freeman, I briefly need permission to fire one specific person from the podcast. Okay, uh, is it huh? Scott? No. Okay, you can't. You don't have permission. <laughs> I'll just go on my own. I thought, was gonna, yeah, I thought I was gonna go to bed at a reasonable hour today. Don't okay. set me up like that. <laughs> Scott, what, what, what's a trope or cliche or that you love or hate? And don't say my sense of humor. No, honestly, I had something that I was so fired up about. And then I got so invested in the cat thing that I totally forgot. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> you got so, so invested in the shortest bit so far that yeah. you forgot. <laughs> Fair trade. <laughs> Um, I hate the trope in movies when uh, the main character is a nerd and then they take off their glasses and then they're, they're hot. Be- everyone just realizes that they're so beautiful okay. and they only realize it about themselves oh. then as well. Counterpoint, yeah. Scott. That is that is really stupid. <laughs> yeah. oh. oh shit, don't just turn off his hey, Holy yeah. shit. Whoa. Also, Counterpoint, My Scott, God, I'm pretty sure that's a that. comic trope that started in like the 1920s with Clark Kent oh. and Superman. Well, well, there for you the record, go. listeners, Duncan just gave us his best blue steel. Yeah, it, you might it, have to turn it, down the volume because it's getting hot in here. That's it was quite the smolder. <laughs> I felt something. I often turn down the volume when it gets too hot. <laughs> <laughs>
when you're looking at something. <laughs> All right, so we're done here. We don't need to hear from the last person. Um, moving uh, Freeman. Oh, sorry, Freeman. <laughs> Freeman's making some great faces. I wish we recorded the visuals for this because I feel like it really enriches the podcast. We, I'm pretty animated. We did it at one point. <laughs> it's, it's true. We but uh, yeah, Freeman. Um, I'm going to. Uh, I've got to kind of flip it on its head because I am terribly. Uh, um, not well read, uh, very poorly read. I, I, and, who and could have seen it coming? Yeah, <laughs> he's more of a pinkish beige. Who, who actually. learned me how to speech anyway? Um, no, I, uh, I, I kind of learn about tropes without like noticing them myself along the way with like you know with watching videos or listening to podcasts and stuff like that. Spending uh, time, so I'm not like me. super invested in. Two minutes, yeah, definitely listening to James rant. You uh, sure complain a lot um, for someone that doesn't <laughs> learn about tropes on your own. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I kind of want to twist this around a little bit because I, I'm curious if any of my approach to running Setting the Tide, both for all of you so far and Cam, you mostly as a listener, are there any tropes whether you like them or not i'm not really so concerned about whether or not you hated it or well if you hated it let me know but um are there any obvious tropes that have occurred through the story that you feel like i implemented and in particular i want to point out the one that comes to mind myself was that i was worried originally about volok being a recurring villain and whether or not that would feel too tropey no I think Volok's um, earned his yes. place in the annals of this show. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it would be so, different yeah. if you just like bamfed out of there, kind of like the Motley Man. Mm-hmm. Like if that becomes a recurring villain, that could get pretty tired. But mm-hmm. Volok has definitely yeah. earned his place or their place uh, mm-hmm. with you know two combats, two PC deaths. Like what? Yeah, because I I, I kind of didn't lay on the recurring too much as I didn't put, provide a lot of evidence of his tracks, you know, along the way and in between encounters and before the first one. And I kind of part of me regretted that, but it's too little too late. So I wasn't really sure how, where I had kind of placed that into the story, yeah. how well it was I done. I think you're fine. I'm kind of over the Both dungeon times dive I've kind trope. of been just surprise. I'm here again. <laughs> yeah, the dungeon times gets a little tiresome sometimes. <laughs> okay. Uh, as a listener, and might I say, I, I am subscribed to the show. I give my real hard-earned money to the show despite being on it. Uh, my only complaint was in the second Volok fight, clearly had the upper hand and fell into the classic trope of uh, the when the villain starts monologuing despite having the hero beaten instead of just mm-hmm. fucking finishing them. Oh, okay. That is sure. like the, the yeah. closest that you have come to a trope mm-hmm. that I do not like. And I think it made sense for Volok to leave there from Volok's perspective because he just got woken up out of the, you know, the tubes, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, uh, but like that, yeah, that's the closest thing I've ever come to a trope. Uh, y'all, sure. or I guess we actually do an amazing job of not falling into the stereotypical roles and cliches of the classes that we play. Yeah, like, that's uh, I, it's just like I am so over fucking horny bard slash <laughs> everything is music bard. Like, yeah. give it a fucking break. Like, yeah. this isn't your fucking community theater fucking yeah. like 
I'm going to be if the I, star, like, just moment. Like, just yeah. calm down. It doesn't need if to I always offer, be like that. If I could offer the rare compliment to Scott, it would Scott be that Tulak, Tulak, one of Tulak's basic founding like, backstory things is a little bit tropish, and it's that, oh, my bloodline has this mysterious power. I'm worried it'll hurt the people that love me. I'm going to leave, hide it, and see what I can do about it. But that's just the start of it. And then from there, I think Tulak, Tulak's em- embracing of it went in a direction that I never really expected. His embracing of the adventure and the responsibility of it. And yeah, he doesn't get quickly, angsty. No, doesn't get angsty about it, you know? And uh, has, has maintained composure in, in a way uh, that is really cool. And I think, I think it, it, that struck me most when Lump joined the party and the reaction to Lump and how to handle that. One of my favorite things about Tulak is that he feels like an actual human being. And that sounds moderately insulting at first until you realize, like, this is a person that can literally animate skeletons that you can't see. Just pull them fucking from the fucking ground. Grim tendrils, just fucking all of it. And, like, he has these concerns for the town. He has these concerns for himself of, like, the powers that are brewing up within him, but he still has a sense of humor. He still like understands like people are people. He doesn't press them to disclose their secrets. Like he's just, despite my shade cast in a prior episode of, (laughs) you know, just dropping rocks on people's heads that lady Gilda knocked out over and over again. (laughs) Yeah. Like, no, but like, if if you think about it, like, he is actually incredibly pragmatic because Lady Gilda was an idealist that was like, oh, well, it's an intelligent undead. I'm just going to knock it out. Whereas Scott was like, these motherfuckers eat human flesh and want to kill people. Like, no, they all need to be put down. They need to face the yeah. wall as I telekinetic projectile <laughs> through them. Like, yeah. I also like, slit their throats, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There's, I, there's that. That one's happened a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, I appreciate that. Regardless, like, Tulak has been one of the most, like, interesting sorcerers I have ever seen in my life. Because, like, most of them play it as either, like, I'm incredibly bashful or I'm hyper confident. And you, like, Mm. thread this needle of, like, just being a human being with these incredible powers that decides to use them responsibly to help his community and uh, yeah. that gets me rock hard. Yeah. You kind of have a dil- the diligence of a soldier without being one, you know? Yeah. Cool. I, I, don't, I don't think he necessarily has the dies. diligence of a soldier. Like, he doesn't have that same level of, like, discipline. He's emotionally complex in a way that my characters aren't. Mm. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I do. I, but, you know, I, that's yeah. a choice no. that I made. Well, that's a are, conscious decision I've made with this Oriental. emotional complexity. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you so much, you guys. I very much appreciate that. Uh, to answer Freeman's question about tropes, because I completely disagree with you, Barn, you made the thief Eastern European, and then you made them drunk last episode. Fucking got him. Where's the air horn? <laughs> Uh, James, yeah, just cut that got, in, please. Everyone's gonna hone down on that one. Never mind all of the many voices I give to everyone else. <laughs> it's always Yasper that comes up. 
It's oh, not our good. fault. She's the most memorable. <laughs> Speaking of using our voices, yeah, let's use our voices right now to tell a story filled with tropes. Uh, indeed. Perhaps it will be. Um, because you are sitting in the, the games hall, the Otari fishery, uh, having a little light snack and beverage with... Uh, uh, Tamily Tandervale and oh, Aloria Galantine with uh, so Lump slash Sal and Tulak at the table. Um, and they're sitting down eagerly awaiting uh, a story or perhaps two or perhaps several from Lump. Um, but Cam, you kind of have the floor here if you want to tell a little tale or, or not. Or give us an idea at least what you have been regaling. Sal uses their fork to take a bite out of the fish in front of them and Tulak probably notices for a brief moment they start to put it towards where their eyes are and uh, then just gently sets down the fork I have been through some amazing adventures I've I came to last wall within the past and you see them start to count in their head for a moment give or take a hundred years I used to worship Calistria the goddess of vengeance and the whip of lust and revenge but it was in the last wall that I found a new purpose. I found a way to live my life without need for destruction, for death, outside of the undead hordes that infested the area around Ustalav. That was all going very, very well until... As I'm sure you're all aware, a little old lich named Tarbafon showed up in rain. You down. see a small subtle responses to, to that mention, you know, just physical. Oh, we know. And rained down ardent fire on vigil. And Lump gives a wry grin. I came from the pile. I came from the pile of the dead and dying. When it hit, it turned everything that we knew on its head. They were throwing the bodies of the people that survived into these giant funerary pyres. And they threw me in one until I came to. And I had to <sighs> dig myself free. There were some adventurers some heroes and they managed to 
drive him off. I came from the pile. I put on my armor. And you see lumps swallowing harder and harder as they try to get through this story. I, I, I put on my armor. And I followed the generals. Because that's what a good soldier does. They, they follow orders. They organize themselves in their pretty little lines. And we met the undead scourge. And the heroes were there. We witnessed a mythic battle between the undead queen Arasni and Tarbathon. Meteors swarmed from the sky. Mountains disintegrated as they fought above us. And I realized how incredibly small I was how little of a chance I stood and these heroes were able to talk our generals out of committing us to the fray as I watched Arasni fall from the sky landing in a cloud of dust only to stand and take to the sky once more. I didn't quite comprehend anything that had happened at this point. This happened in the span of a minute. These were creatures that could call forth meteors. They could level mountains. But as I watched Arasni extricate herself from the, the dust, the dirt, the, the crater that she had been thrown into, I felt a surge of hope, um, retribution, I, an emotion that to this day plagues me. And when that war was brought to its brutal, deadly end, I found myself on the Isle of Cortos. I had heard rumors of Belcora. And I felt it my duty, my purpose to bring about her end. And Lump is just trying to hold it together. Their mouth is dry as I 
I made my way down through the layers before eventually being captured before eventually being thrown to the metaphorical wolves to the devils and I felt myself calling upon Callistria again upon Arasni I found myself looking at my fellow flesh forged creatures and hoping hoping against despair fighting against it with every bit of my heart and almost ironic funny queer thing happened Tulak <laughs> Tulak stumbled upon me and I saw my chance to escape my oppressors and I took it and I'll take it again until my last dying breath Tulak this whole time he started when he was listening to Lump by intently listening to the story and then as Lump started to describe the feeling of being small in comparison to the actions around you Tulak kind of stopped paying attention but was still listening but he as well began to feel like a small piece of this things that have been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years and his life has been so short and he's just been thrown into this situation but he's just such a small piece of it and so in hearing this he felt that and then as Lump continued and he could see maybe that Lump was starting to falter a bit when Tulak heard them say that they would do it again and again and again, Tulak's opinion that he had of Lump changed. That worry that he was holding on to that they might be betrayed, this was a massive step opposite that. And as Lump finishes their story, Tulak takes the beer that's sitting in front of them on the table and lifts it up and says, Sal, you don't understand what you mean to us. We found you in the dark. You say that we rescued you in the dark, but you rescued us. And going forward, I believe we both shall do what we have to do again and again and again. And he puts his cup up for a cheers, almost forgetting that the people were there with him, but <laughs> realizing at the same time that they were and kind of making it, trying to bring everyone into the situation because I don't know exactly what the look is on Aloria and Tamily uh, <laughs> and Tamily like just enraptured with the both of you, and Aloria is kind of lost in thought. Lump raises their glass 
and says, until our last breath. And they cheers. Tammy's like, here, here. And Aloria kind of snaps up and a little bit and is like, you know, raises her glass without much of a word. And you guys all cheers and have a drink. And Aloria, after ha- taking kind of a long pull, puts her mug down and kind of like hard swallows. Says, Salas, uh, quite a story. Not just in its content, but that you would share it with us. Perfect strangers. I am uh, no stranger to such tales in a way, if not so dramatic. After years of facilitating thousands of deliveries and gaining and losing as many couriers as you can count for a myriad reasons. Well, I've met all sorts of types of people from many backgrounds and past lives, including those who escaped expectations thrust upon them in order to become who they felt they truly were, and people who do, who sought to reinvent themselves in order to find the path that worked for them. When I met you earlier today, Sal, I saw a hesitation in our introduction. I did not expect you to share so honestly this evening, uh, but I'm glad you did. It puts me in mind of a story. Uh, she hard swallows again, and Tamily is now like really focused on her, and she sort of like edges her chair out and gives Tulak a uh, tap on the shoulder. He says, Come on, Tulak, uh, let's get a refill for the table. And sort of edges Tulak away from the moment for a second, if Tulak will follow her lead. Yes, he will. You would assume that, you know, Tamli and Eloria know each other quite well and have for many years. And after a moment of just the two at the table, Eloria again hard swallows and begins to tell her own honest story. And she says, you know, Sal, in my early days, uh, as a budding new business owner, I had to do a lot of deliveries myself. Uh, and when doing so, uh, well, one day I came across an injured creature along the road. Well, not along the road so much as off in the distance on one of the plains on the aisle. It was a centaur, surrounded by her own dead kin and tribe and dying from her wounds. And I did what I could to save her. Proud and stumpered lot, the centaurs, and they have good reason. They protect and roam ancestral lands that have been under their protections for thousands of years. Very traditional. And they were cautious, of course, when anything encroached upon these lands, especially humans like myself, again, with good reason. And without a word, she lay there while I tended her wounds, a fierce, unblinking, untrusting gaze that never lifted from me. But the centaur had little choice. I help her, or she dies. I spent a full week there, the centaur. Not a word was spoken from her, and I eventually fell into a natural silence myself. Spent most of my time foraging for food, burying the dead re-cleaning and bandaging her wounds. Just so happens I was delivering medical supplies to Otari, and I knew they were not dangerously low, so I 
took the cost financially, as it were. You took it upon yourself. I did. Near the end of that week, a roving tribe of centaurs came near. And this centaur, well, she stirred with what I thought was hopefulness. But the tribe spied a lone centaur with a human and turned away uttering words in the tongue of the fae. It was after that that this centaur spoke to me for the first time, and I knew that it was not hopefulness but anxiety that stirred within a a tribe had passed by and saw this and called her nameless, claimed her dishonored for having no tribe and for wandering with a two-legged folk and without a thought for her well-being, left her. And I knew that within that week's time I had both saved the centaur's life and destroyed it at the same time. Lump is full on weeping. (laughs) But when she could walk again and defend herself, I left from my home, and she followed me at a distance. And when I returned to Rotari, she lingered outside the town's borders, often on the cliffs as if studying the town, its inhabitants. And every time I left the town to do a delivery myself, she intercepted me. She took my package and she delivered it herself much faster than I ever could have done mine, even on horseback. After months of this, maybe even a year, she finally showed up at the door of my shop inside the town limits, though just barely. And she said to me, and I will never forget these words, My name is Narala. I am not nameless. I am not dishonored so long as I breathe the winds of the plains. My heart beats along with the thud of my hooves, and so long as I have purpose. You have given me all of these things. My name is Narala, and I have honor. And without so much as a negotiation, she became my head courier, and I haven't delivered a package since. (laughs) But, uh, hard swallow. Sal will reach out and take her hand. Please... Call me, call me, Salusel. Salusel. I guess what I'm trying to tell you, my friend, is that some leave what was forced behind, forced upon them behind, and some reclaim what was taken from them. And some embrace whatever it is they are, here and now. And in any case, or whatever combination, I hope that you find the one that works for you. Lump will squeeze her hand shaking it gently thank you for hearing my my story it it has been a long time since I had anyone else that I could talk to relate to be And you see Lump give a kind of wry grin as they say uh, human with I hope that my story did not disturb you. I it was something I needed to get off of my shoulders a burden that I've carried for 
too long. It was my pleasure to hear your story, Saluso. I know there is more to you than meets the eye, as it were. But know that this place, this Hotare, with all of its troubles, is a welcoming place to those who treat it as their home and protect it as such, which I believe you are doing, even if you do not call it home yet. And Lump will pick up their flagon and cheers her until my last breath. Indeed. Ooh. <laughs> Hero point, Freeman. Hero point, <laughs> Hero point for Freeman. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I wrote that today. <laughs> oh, I didn't write any of mine. <laughs> uh, all right, and uh, and uh, we go quietly into uh, that night and over over drinks and everything. However, um, well, it's hard to come back into normal play after all that. <laughs> but um, uh, it really. <laughs> It really Jesus. is, yeah, yeah. Just cut dramatic, dramatic noise cue, uh, musical cue. Tulak, uh, it's late at night. <laughs> did you, uh, did you want to take some time to uh, do some research while people bed down, uh, or do you want to sort of wait it out, have a sleep, put uh, put a lump up in your top bunk in the caravan, maybe in physics old shack. I, I do think that Lump takes this opportunity to find the first real bed they've had in decades. Oh, and yeah. Just conks the fuck out. Just absolutely just sleeps gets, like a dog. Gets yeah. too drunk and accidentally ca- crashes on the couch. <laughs> no. <laughs> T- Tammy's like, who's in my bed? <laughs> Krakow wasn't there for supper, so he had like plenty of time to to do stuff but are there any checks mm-hmm. you can oh, even yeah. do in town because it looks like most of our checks left are for the someone roll me a d100 <laughs> someone roll someone roll me a d100 zori rolls a 16 okay there are no infernal braille books at the dawn left hour library so we can't roll that for research um but um you could roll religion if you have it do you have it? I have it. You know. You? Okay. Right. Yeah. If you want to research, if we'll follow up uh, uh, Tulux's uh, lead on the on the devil research, you could do that, or you could do your own research of the other topics as well. Um, get into some Nimbaloth stuff, which is also uh, which is going to be occultism. Um. um yeah. Let's do. Wisps. Let's do some some devil research. Okay. Um. Big fan of Black Sabbath. This guy, not a huge fan. 18. Uh, no, I'm afraid not. Uh, I guess he's got some time, day, though. So. Yeah, so he'll yeah. just go for another one. Not one. Uh, you're you're literally in the wrong section of the library. Uh. <laughs> you've you've managed to you've managed to wander into like uh, eco- the uh, the ornithology section or something. <laughs> ah, boobies. <laughs> 
And their blue feet. And their blue feet. Exactly. It's kind of buried. Come on. Put your mind out of the gutter. Uh, I guess I'm going to give him one more. He will wander out of the ornithology section, which, honestly, pretty fucking stacked library if they've got the whole section on ornithology. Uh, Heck yeah. Last one. 17. Okay, he walks out of there knowing less than he did when he walked in. He rolled so bad on all of those. Um, okay, yeah, not much luck for all, uh, for all crack. I there. shouldn't have skipped supper. I can't read when I'm on an empty stomach. <laughs> Couldn't eat any of the seafood chowder at the Crook's Nook. Oh, not a God, fan. Revolting. Uh, <laughs> next, uh, right, two luck? next adventure, firmly inland. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Tulak is in his caravan. And he's just kind of like to set the scene. He's just seated down on big plush pillows with like low candlelight around him, incense burning in the air as he's known to do. And he is just sitting, staring at the staff of necromancy and just kind of staring at it and pondering it and moving it in his hands It's an item of evil that he has kind of railed against in a lot of ways. Um, You know, it's like he has issues with his own power and then bringing in kind of other necromantic items to focus that power or to use other like this wasn't created by a good creature, right? This isn't like him using his spells that he knows are for good. Like there is mm-hmm. someone in that cult of the canker who made this f- to do evil. Mm-hmm. So he's just kind of rolling it around in his hands and then just kind of snaps to a realization and he just starts to take it apart in a way um, and I, I don't know if you want me to roll some sort of check on this, but he wants to just recreate what it looks like without kind of taking the power away from it to make it more of his own and something that he wants to use for good. So, you know, maybe like yeah. removes a skull and adds a feather or like, yeah, so because you might rec- remember that uh, the staff was belonged to Nakazaran, who was the, the leader of the cult of the Kanker of the Ghouls, and it is like very bone, you know, oriented and and uh, and ornamented. Um, and uh, but you know, it's like this creature was uh, sort of the facilitator of some evil, very evil things. But it does resonate, probably resonate with Tulak that it, it was probably created with the purpose of not evil, but facilitation of something. And that can be refacilitated by you, just like the rest of your powers, into something good. You know, yeah. You know now that necromancy is not inherently evil. Yes, it is. You know, the acts that you perform with it, um, or like it, like with anything. Um, so yeah, you can you can start pulling this kind of thing apart. And what do you want to sort of replace with what you with what you pull away? And you know, we're looking at like three different skulls and a variety of bones all kind of strapped at the top. And there's like more bones at the bottom, probably to like create balance along the staff for weight and stuff. So I think that he's just looking to like, you know, just using his sense in things that are in the caravan that resonate with him. So, 
he pulls off a skull and is adding in like feathers or strings of beads that he's wrapping around it. Um, you know, adding like trinkets and pieces of gold jewelry or, you know, rings or iron rings, just all sorts of different just items that are giving him like kind of a good vibe. And he is almost in a trance like state as he's just putting these pieces together. And, you know, he pulls out his dagger and is just kind of carving in it and just really just, yeah, like I said, in a tr- meditative trance and just kind of then comes to and the item is in his hands, just transformed from this thing of evil into mm-hmm. a tool for good. Cool. Because for me, I imagine that the, you know, it's not every piece of a staff uh, that is important to its magical, you know, it's like I, the the physical form of a staff to me is like, you know, I always picture it as it's, it's a bit, the ornamentation of it um, is neither here nor there. It is sort of the, the length of it, the shaft, the balance of it kind of matches the magic put into it and it's become you know it's the it's uh that that general shape that is as important as the complex uh, you know how how complex the magic that goes into it um something that is so simple but delicately uh balanced um uh, just like a spell might be all right and then once he has kind of done that uh he just settles leans it up against the wall settles back into his uh cushions and is going to just meditate on devils and just see if he can come to some sort of uh bit of information before they return okay why don't you roll me up a sweet sweet religion boo four on the die for a 14 oh no Um, uh, now um, you did you did last time spend a hero point, but we never actually went forward with the actual research. Did you spend that on your character sheet? Do you want to spend it now because we could retract that? What? Remember we got interrupted by the fact that you you weren't going to go doing research. Um, no, I I did. I spent the hero point and I got a twenty. But I, I thought we landed on the fact that you didn't do the research. I did one session there, then I ran after them. Um, you know, kind of feeling like maybe you shouldn't be leaving them alone in the streets. So that was two hours. Then I just did two more hours. And you know what? Did Duncan get... Did Duncan pass? No. Oh, no. Bad. uh, Poorly. Just bad. Bad. Fuck. He actually burned (laughs) it. Yeah. Yeah. Even if I get it right now, they tore up my tore up his library card. The, the third one was like, "I'm in the devil section. Why is this book on ornithology here? Like, why? It's haunting me." Okay, so even if I pass the next one, like it did a hero point and passed, we might not even get a point. So, ruminating on this and realizing he knows nothing more, Tulak retires to sleep. Okay. Uh, and, um, everyone has a rest wherever they collectively might choose. Um, perhaps Lump does actually, uh, stay at the uh, Otari fishery. They do have rooms there. And uh, the, how much um, is the room? Ah, uh, I think, uh, I think it'll be on the house. Okay. 
Yeah. In the house, hopefully. Sharing of stories. (laughs) Uh, Why not both? Uh, And we level up. Of course, uh, Isori has uh, her... Uh, has a little rest there, down there in the library on one of those rotting divans. Uh, and uh, Krukka perhaps returns to his home in the forest? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He heads uh, out there. Uh, yeah, hopes, hopes that the Hero not? Point fairy comes overnight. And... Yeah. yeah. Got to yeah, check sure, in on yeah. that garden. Um, make sure his tomatoes are going properly. <laughs> you got to make sure that your mulch plants are creating mulch and that the barrier plants are you know, still doing And there's job. no fish around. Just grabs a book like, yep. Still got words in it. (laughs) Uh, And I think between last session and this session, I think everyone deserves two hero points, in fact. I can't. I can't hold two. I I don't know what to do with these three hero points. you should have spent them. (laughs) Uh, But that's what you get because you're not getting a level up. Sorry. That's fair. Big mistake. Fuck you, Barn. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's there's always an opportunity for us to tell you to suck it. Yeah. So you just pulled three hours out of our economy by letting Glash go, and now we don't even get a level up to compensate. <laughs> well, you did get a fourth PC. Uh, you can thank me and Cam for that. How about, yeah, but how the, about the, thanks, the, Cam. the fourth PC is bad. The fourth PC is bad. I'm very bad at this game. I'm so bad at this well, game. I don't know what I'm doing here. that's not true. <laughs> what do you mean? No, we, we need that level no, free, man. Come on. No. Come on. We need fifth level spells. Yeah, come they're on. the experts. Yeah, come on. <clears throat> as the listeners write in as the adventure sound is off written, in you're already one level ahead what you should be so you're not getting a level whose fault is that <laughs> I will spin them religiously till uh, my last right. breath <laughs> alright so spending a nice cozy night uh, perhaps Lump even sleeps in never been so cozy in their life maybe Gets no sleep at all because it's too cozy. <laughs> um, I think that Lump honestly takes about an hour just trying to adjust to the fact that they have a bed. And it's not just some wood slats <laughs> with some hay. It's an actual bed. Mm-hmm. And But when they do fall asleep, they're not plagued by nightmares for the first time in their like a decade and they wake up the next morning and have this brief moment of almost forgetting to pray as they deal with the realization that maybe the citizens of Otari don't realize it, but like peace just a piece that comes from a person that has spent the majority of their life fighting. And as they're departing Otari with Tulak, they, and I, I hate the fact this is a meme, but like they do the Hulk walk away, like glancing back at Otari in that brief, <laughs> respite that they felt that the biggest challenge they've had to their faith of to the last breath and 
walk back into the swamps with or with a big deep breath (laughs) a, a, a tear in their eye and a very deep breath as they feel the mist cloying around them closing in as they go back into the claustrophobic vaults you can almost see like the disguise like fall off as you enter right because you've been disguised this whole time. Yeah, it's 24 hours. So yeah, like the guys falls off as I leave. Lump reverts back into their now almost reconfirmed hideous form. And it's funny because juxtaposed to that as they're walking and Lump is looking back to Lock um, as they're heading to pick up Krukka is literally focused on getting back there is feeling a draw so powerful to bring him back and get back to Azori and back to the adventure and back to trying to defeat Eurevian and continue moving down deeper. It's like magnetism. There is no part of him that is looking back towards Otari right now. It's pulling him towards the gauntlet. Uh, yeah, Damn I I spot. love that. I love that uh, the uh, the opposite sides of that in a way. Like Tulak is just so focused on going in and Lump is you know not not really uh, probably less focused than ever, you know, leaving behind the first creature comfort that they've ever had in a very long time. Um but I'm sure no less ready to face it on. So you probably meet Krukka in the forest along the way, head down into the library where... Ooh, is that new ink? Oh, Krukka. Did you did you get a tattoo? <laughs> Thank you. It means serenity. <laughs> is that the Infinity logo? Uh, as a person that speaks Orc, uh, I look at Krukka and like, no, they, they, did, they, they did you dirty, dog. <laughs> well, in Orcish. <laughs> It means ultraviolence. Uh, I have no problems with that either. Oh, I mean, it 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 can be both. Like, I'll get you it. can be, you can find serenity in the violence. Yes, it's a beautiful, violent world. <laughs> it's it's a uh, metaphor, odd- right? Oddly enough, the I hope the that tattoo- it wasn't because you related to an ex, though. Like that would be kind of cringe. <laughs> speaking of of tropes you hate (laughs) um uh yeah the 100 cuts tattoo is like despite being a tattoo it's actually from its description appears to be inkless so i think it's probably been applied without ink just with a scar yeah yeah it forms a bunch of diamond shaped scars that represent the ability to withstand the attacks of your enemy yeah it's kind of like well one of the um ancestry or one of the backgrounds Ancestries uh, is like the hold scar dork, and I imagine it's kind of yeah. that where they have those raids, raised yeah. scars all along their bodies. Um, Definitely. Yeah. But this one's in the shape of either 100 victories or serenity. <laughs> or ultraviolence. Or ultraviolence. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you meet Zori in the uh, library. Uh, Probably uh, doing her daily preparations. Do you have any news for us, Azori? Where's Glash? Hmm. Glash has 
made his peace with our mission and returned or attempted to return to his people. There was a cavern leading to the Darklands outside of the library and he decided to take it. I will. He's garbled. Oh, I'm sorry, Agriel. I didn't mean to speak over you. Oh, that's fine. Are are you going to speak more? Can I go now? No, that's fine. You go ahead. I will. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're you're absolutely okay. <laughs> I'll Agriel, be I we we haven't had that much time to talk. It's it's perfectly normal for us to step on each other's toes in a conversation. Yeah, we're still feeling this out. You know, we're still getting used to the the cadence of the friendship oh i i absolutely agree with you agrio um my my point in this all was i will sorely miss his ability to cast fireball <laughs> okay so tulok takes a moment of silence for the fireball and then Tulok says, so, shall we do more research here, or do we continue down to fight these devils? Does anyone have a means of creating water? Well, I do. It's not a very big one, but I do have a wand of quench. It's about how you use it. <laughs> I, I've been told that as well, Krukka. And Lump uh, rubs it the side of their face. <laughs> I I know that we had plans towards destroying the roof to flood that area. And I am not a learned creature, but that seems particularly dangerous. My patron has blessed me with aqueous blast today, so we will at least have a few seconds of water-based attacks. Between the quenching from Tulak in your aqueous bless I believe it's best if we pursue and lumps large eye narrows violence with the Aranius directly now that's so man there you go. Bit of a pain in the dick because I think that uh, Glash probably had primal spell casting or... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because did. I need to um, trick magic item each time. But it's okay. I got a ton of hero points, so we can make this happen. <laughs> it just lined up so perfectly. I couldn't help myself. I, You uh, know what? Like, uh, I, I don't regret a word of it. It was good. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, we're gonna head back, I think, with the consent of everyone else the, to the Aranus chamber and, uh, f- fuck around and find out as it were. Let's do it. Okay. That's the plan? That's the plan. Mm-hmm. No one's opposed? As we reach the door, though, I would like to do some preparatory spellcasting, if possible. I think you have that prerogative, yes. Okay. Uh, Then Krukka is going to get resist energy fire. Okay. 
And so you will resist five fire damage. Uh, for, a second, for a second there, I was like, oh, it doesn't Krucker already have it? Oh, Krucker's got resist cold. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, right. Oh, right, 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 right. And then... I'm we'll a very neutral it. temperature. <laughs> we'll cast it again upon themselves to gain fire resist. Okay. And oh, then we'll, uh, as they reach the door, cast Heroism on Krucker. You want to drag that onto yourself, and that is the extent of my preparatory spells. If anybody has anything else, it's a lot for cast. one character. Anyone else got uh, something they can throw in there? To luck. Do you have the spell slots to spare to be able to cast fly on Kraka and myself? Yes, I can do this. I believe that it would be best. He said to reluctantly. <laughs> I, I just I spent three to. spell slots to fucking help out the party. Like I can just feel Scott's paws going. I don't <laughs> want to do it. <laughs> I I believe if if you would like to spare it from me, that is that is fine. Mm. I do have my own means of uh, uh approaching them, but no. I, I Tulak Tulak cuts lump off and turns to them and says, "I can do this until the last breath." And we'll cast fly upon the both of them. I'm very aerodynamic. Yeah, party slogan. <laughs> no, Slowly you're really not. Slogan. You're really not, Krucka. Dainty like a bird, <laughs> they call me. No, no. It's the opposite of what you are. Mr. Wuzzo. He pulls, you're a beautiful he pulls out missile. the ornithology book. <laughs> which one I most like. <laughs> you're, you're a beautiful mass of muscle. And hollow bones. No, your bones are not hollow. I've look, seen <laughs> just look at this plumage. <laughs> Tulak, the last thing he will do is cast invisibility on himself as well. Does Azori feel like she needs any buff right now? Uh, yeah, I've just been waiting for y- <laughs> y'all to finish. Um, she's going to cast Blur on Krucka. A blurry, heroic, (laughs) flying orc. And she will draw the (laughs) Wand of Magic Missile level 2. Hell yeah. Did anybody like scrolls while we were in town? You guys were in charge of the shopping. I thought you were were taking care of it. I don't like shopping for other people. I just make recommendations. (laughs) Anything that uh, Izori would have added to the shopping list that could have been purchased. Yeah, she would have added a couple of scrolls, but I don't I don't have them uh in front of me, so we'll do that later. You wouldn't have had them prepared we'll for today, later. so yeah. I think it's fine. Yeah. All right. Well Tulak pulls out Wand of Quench. Okay. And the um the fucking machine gun missile. <laughs> manifold <laughs> Manifold missiles. Manifold missiles, yes. And that's right. where we're gonna call it. Oh, don't you do this to me right now. You are so buffed and pretty. Are we doing this? Yeah, we're doing this. We don't have much time left. Are we doing this? Oh, yeah. Let's let's go. Let's go. All right. So, reminder to the listeners, you're passing through the room that Iegian had covered in nonsensical metaphysical questions and going up the stairs toward that circular chamber that has a sort of half moon or not even quite half moon um, uh, sort of... uh, balcony with an altar on it above the altar you might remember is 
a, a very light sort of dripping trickle from the lake above that drops onto the altar and just goes pss into steam. In the room, it is a circular room filled with magma at the bottom that is powering this um, uh, sort of um, this, this summoning circle, this infernal summoning circle that is suspended by six chains over the magma and on this circle is two Aranis discussing something to do with extraplanar portals and the application of uh, transferring between planes. You march up these stairs with what I can only assume is a reasonable amount of confidence. Actually, perhaps two of you fly and float up the stairs, um, put yourselves in a marching order and get yourselves onto that balcony and say what you are going to say before you unleash hell upon the hellions. Eat it, nerds. <laughs> <laughs> Roll for initiative. <laughs> I miss glass. I rolled a two. Why do I roll so shit on initiative? Uh, okay, uh, you rolled a two. What'd you get your total? <laughs> 18. 18. Okay, Kraka, what'd you get? 16 on the die for a 29. All right, Izori? Izori's trying to figure out what you can roll initiative with other than perception, but uh, I don't think that's going to fly, so it is a 14. Oh, uh, sorry, 14 plus 2. 16. You don't have lore insults? <laughs> For the listeners at home, how... What what is what's going on with the airness? Are they flying? Are they on the ground? Or uh, no, they're just chilling on the on the platform. They're standing, yeah. But they have these big old wings, of course, and these uh, these big uh, bows on their backs and stuff. And so you march and yell, "Suck it, nerds!" Uh, Tulak, what did you get for initiative? Twenty eight. <laughs> Twenty eight. Uh, very good. And. Um, Oh, does Sam, is Sammy? Sorry, is Sammy not in your tattoo? And does Sammy get his own initiative? Uh, no to both. Okay. And we are going to. I'm going to roll these uh, Aranis with a uh, uh, penalty to their their initiative for an effective sort of surprise. They were nerds in high school, um, and they never got over it. <laughs> and. Uh, it's going to put one of them uh, beneath Krukka, who's at the top, but one of them is still ready to act quickly. They roll very high. Let's begin this encounter with that Aranus, who quickly turns to you and just grabs the bow off their back and is going to, yeah, is going to launch an arrow at... Uh, let's go with either Krukka or Lump, who are at the, Bring at it. the front. Bring it. Uh, it's going to go with Krukka. Launch a flaming arrow at Krukka for a 27 to hit. That hits. Okay, you're going to take... Let's see here. Um, oh, you're not evil, are you? <sighs> or good, are you? You're neutral. Uh, so you were going... And, uh, and you have resistance to fire. Uh, so you're going to take 13 <laughs> points of damage. Oh, good. Heavily mitigated. Because that's going to allow uh, him to use Wounded Rage as a reaction. Uh, blur. Reaction, Wounded Rage. Uh, oh, blur. Blur, 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 blur. How does blur uh, work? Krukka is concealed. Yeah. It's in the chat. 
Oh, DC five flat check. I rolled an eight. Okay. So 13 piercing and follow up with a second uh, a shot at lump to try and get both of you in. 32 to hit. Uh, that is a hit. Okay. Uh, and that is going to be, you're also neutral, aren't you? No, you're chaotic. I am neutral. chaotic neutral, yeah. Okay. Uh, so we're looking at. What the hell? Um, I got 15 damage total with uh, three of them being fire. Okay. Uh, uh, which I will makes it 12. Block that. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, because you can. <laughs> both do fire resistance. Good call. Um, and you're going to block that, so. Yep. Uh, all right, so how much did you end up taking? <laughs> None. <laughs> Nothing at all? None. None. Uh, damn it. <laughs> uh, so this surprise here is just like, boom, off the back, it's just boom, boom, and just hardly any effect on the intruders. Krukka, it is your turn, and you are flying. Flying. Rah. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, Scott, keep them honest of the flying rules. Yeah, I, I t- barely know how to fly as a human, let alone an orc. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> He will, I should have mentioned, he's going to be do- dealing normal rage damage and not fire rage damage for what is obvious okay. reasons. Yep. That's fair. So he's going to fly 10 feet. Uh, how, how far, sorry, is the drop to the, the magma here? Uh, it's, uh, are the magma itself, I think, is like, we'll have to double check. I think it's like 15 feet deep, but uh, the room is like uh, 25 feet I think that the ceiling is like 25 feet above your current position. Okay. So it's a pretty pretty tall room. So he's just going to fly forward 10 feet. So he's hovering above the magma and toss a returning light hammer at the, uh, let's say, the, the westernmost uh, dude. Okay. The one on your left. 35 to hit. That hits. 17. Bludge. 17 damage. Very good. You can feel, you notice a little bit didn't go through. So, and then another uh, throw of the returning light hammer with a map minus four for a 25 to hit. That will not hit. Okay, good to know where our range is here. And this is mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, second, the one you just started attacking uh, also has to pull its bow off its back and is going to launch a, a shot at Lump for a 35 to hit. Um, no, that, sorry, that'll hit. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, and that's going to be, uh, let's see here, uh, two fire, no good, evil, no good. Uh, it's going to be 19 piercing damage. Uh, applied. Uh, okay, and um, second shot's going to go at Zori in the back, who... There is pretty sure just called them a nerd. Not cool. Uh, 21 to hit. That's a miss. Not going to do it. No revenge of the nerds. Uh, and Tulak, you're up. Tulak will stride up into the room, unfortunately, because he couldn't see the... I don't think I could see the magma from where I was kind of like down a few steps there, hey? I mean, you could, yeah, you, you could uh, see sorry, it, per t- se. Sorry to interrupt. Are they within 30 feet of me? Uh, they are. They are. Uh, no, I already used my reaction. Never mind. Okay. I thought you were checking for something on my end. Because I uh, think that ahead. I would probably have to be able to see the magma to use the wand of quench on it, correct? I think so. I don't remember what quench does at all. Okay, don't worry about it. Uh, Tulok 
strides into the room, invisible, turns back and casts haste upon Lump or Sal. Uh, okay, haste on Salucel slash Lump. Wicked. And that's my turn. And that brings us to Lump. Who is uh, stacked with buffs right now? <laughs> I am a menace to GMs everywhere. Uh, Lump is going to fly straight forward 25 feet using their haste action. And then is going to attempt to trip the one in front of them. Okay. Uh, we'll first try to demoralize them, actually. And that is a 27 to demoralize. Um, that's a 27 to demoralize against my will DC. That is a success. All right. And then we'll attempt to trip against your reflex DC. Uh, that is a seven on the die for a, uh, 26. Uh, that is a failure. I'm afraid. All right. I have two actions left. Right. Two actions. I oh, you moved. Intimidate. Trip. Okay, that's trip. three. Um, and then, you know what? I think I can roll. Can I roll better than a seven? I have to roll a twelve. I will go ahead and raise a shield. That's my last action. That is my turn. And Izori. Izori is gonna kind of blow her turn here with a stride. A recall knowledge. Okay. Religion. <laughs> They're never in your favor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's going to do it. I don't see. Uh, yeah, nope, you have no okay. idea. <laughs> and then with her last action, she will take cover. Okay, taking cover behind the altar. All right. Next up is... Uh, the areas that Lump just ran after or flew after. And we are going to, let's see here. We are going to get uh, a sweet, sweet, furious fusillade from this creature uh, who is just going to start firing like infernal fiery arrows in a 30 foot cone, uh, which is potentially going to strike everyone. Um, I have to roll an attack roll against all of you. Um, but you are within a volley range, me. So I get to take a minus two penalty to this automatically for everyone. I think Bud is Zori, <laughs> but Zori's taking cover, so I think she gets a bonus here. I'm so invisible. Just... Oh, you're invisible. And I'm True blurry. Uh, <laughs> you're blurry. Um, despite the fact that you're invisible, it's. This creature still manages to target you. And let's see here. I'm going to go with uh, Lump first. 35. That'll hit. And you're going to take two slashing. Oh, I rolled the wrong, I rolled the wrong weapon. Here we go. Uh, let's see. 17 piercing. And that's it. None of the other ones. Um, and we're going to get a strike in at... As, as my reaction real quick for me before you move on. Yep. Uh, I am going to add it and cast Blood Vendetta as a reaction. I need a will save. Okay. <laughs> will save 25. Uh, that is a success, so you will take half the persistent bleed damage. 
So you will take 1d6, or 2d6 divided by 2. So if you want to drag that spell effect, blood been dead, and then just half uh, damage. Okay. Cool. Oh, yeah, I see. Okay. Uh, half damage. Cool. Uh, awesome. Blood Vendetta. Very good. Uh, I rolled a natural 20 against Krukka. Gross. Uh, so um, that's going to be a 37, which still hits. Uh, Crit. Critical damage coming in is going to be 36 piercing. Okay. Uh, and a total of 10 fire, so I think you take five of that as well. Okay. Uh, and one in for two lock. Let me just double check my rules here. Uh, basically, I have constant true seeing, so... Um, if you have constant true seeing, it doesn't matter. Neither does blur. Oh, blur doesn't matter either. Imagine that. So it just negates all of those. So good. <laughs> I never win. Um, let's go with 33 against Tulak. Uh, it's a hit. Okay. Uh, that's going to be... Let's see. Uh, 15 piercing... Uh, one evil and three fire. Oh, you don't take fire. You got resistance. No that, eh? fire, baby. Okay. So a total of 16 damage. Oh, I also forgot. Uh, sorry, Krukka, that you take. Let's see here. Uh, where's it at? And Freeman, before anybody gets to this in the discord, uh, you actually yeah. get to make a secret counteract check against the blur and invisibility. Secret, secret counteract checks. How does that work? I don't know how true seeing works. <laughs> okay, so true seeing. Sorry, sorry, real quick, Krukka, you because you got a crit, you're taking one d10 upper and fire damage as well. No, oh, uh, well, suck it, Baron. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry. Go ahead, Kim. <laughs> For true seeing, you see things within sixty feet as they actually are. The GM rolls a secret counteract check against any illusion or transmutation in the area. Invisibility and blur are both transmutation, or sorry, illusion. Okay. Uh, yeah. But only for the purpose of determining whether you see through it. For instance, if the check succeeds against the polymorph spell, you can see the true creature's two form oh, okay. in the polymorph spell. So I have to roll a counter check before that actually applies. Correct. Uh, okay, uh, counter check. I can use my uh, my uh, spell attack roll for that. Correct. Um, all right. Let me just uh, throw one of those out there and see what happens. Um, Against two lock, uh, the counter check uh, total is going to be a 32. Yeah, my spell DC is 27, if that's what you're asking. And against the blur, it's going to be um, not so great, actually. Uh, it's going to be 21. That's a fail. Ooh. Okay, so maybe maybe Kraka didn't get crit. Uh, well, how does the blur work again? Uh, it's concealment, yeah, right? DC I got to roll concealment on that. I rolled the 19. Okay. Yeah, you actually rolled it the first time anyways. Yeah, I'm thinking about the, this next one, though. Okay. Um, we all good. Okay, everything is kosher. We don't have to recant. Um, and uh, finally, I have to roll against Zori, who has taken cover. Uh, da -da -da. And that's going to be a 29 to hit against uh, your take cover. Yeah, AC. that's a beat to beat. Oh, just barely. Yuck. Uh, that's going to be 19 piercing, uh, one fire if you take it, and I don't think you take evil. Uh, she's got a resistance to void one, but not to evil. Okay. And that's going to bring us to Krukka. 
Trucker. He took a big hit and is now on fire. Yeah, flaming, flying, swooping orc is going to swoop his way next to Lump. And Doing go... his best human, int- human torch impression. Yep, and then go way the other way with it and blast them with a cone of cold from his uh, wolfjaw armor. Oh, oh nice. shit. <laughs> so I'd like to aim it so I'm hitting those two and not lump. I'm sure that's not too Yeah, I think you I think if you want if you want to aim it you have to like just get back a little bit because uh cones are a little bit awkward when you're All super right. close. So maybe nope. uh, he can no, he can aim it right there and just Get it? Bop. Right there. Okay. Oh yeah, okay. Oh, top okay. Left cool. Let's do that then. Uh you need a reflex save for reflex me. Reflex save, yes. Okay. Um Oh, I forgot to uh, take my blood vendetta damage. Um, what was that? Uh, where was it at? How much 2D6 was it? 2d6 divided by 2, so here you go. Uh, it'll be 4. Okay, half damage. Flat check. Uh, failed, still bleeding. Uh, you're going to get a reflex save. Uh, the one in front of Lump that's bleeding just rolled a natural 1. Nice. For a 20. And the other one rolled a 29. Okay, so... What's the DC? DC 23, so one succeeds, one critically fails. Uh, one of them, the critical failure will take 30 cold. Oh, nice. And, yeah, dude. Uh, seven, seven cold for the other one. Okay, and half for the other one. Okay, that was awesome. Uh, all right, the other one is up, who is now going to drop its um, longbow, draw a flaming longsword, and... Take a slash at Krukka um, for a, let's see, uh, 21 to hit. That's terrible. Nope. Uh, sorry, Krukka, uh, take nine fire damage from your uh, from your persistent and roll me a recovery check. Take four, Krukka. Take four, yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you. Uh, recovery check. Nine. Still on fire. Failure. Okay. Uh, and it's uh, thing is going to swing a second time for a thirty-one to hit. That'll do it. Okay, and you're going to take uh, let's see, sixteen piercing, and that's it. Oh, you're really prepped for this. Um, <laughs> Tulak, what can you add? Okay, Tulak is going to. So I'm going to roll a nature check. Just for the record, to... I rolled for blur and succeeded. Okay, I'm rolling nature against a DC. Hold on, let me. I thought I had this trick magic item down, but so I'm rolling a check against a tradition. The DC is based on the item's level. Uh, quench is a second level spell, so it is a fifth level item. So DC for level. Uh, DC by level for five is uh, twenty. Yep. Oof. How did I ever manage this before? Because I have uh, plus I'm not nothing sure you've ever in nature. Used it before, did you? Yeah, we used. I used it in the uh, when the library was burning. Oh, I, re- I mean, I remember the library. Yeah, PJP season. gave everyone a lot of shit about it because you don't use a bunch of water to put and put out books when they have sand. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have a sand wand. Shout out PJP. Wand Shout out beaches. <laughs> okay, well, anyways, I guess this isn't going to work. So, Tulok fails that check, becomes frustrated, realizing that he's not going to be able to do it without a natural 20. You know what? Hero point one time. He going to do one. Let's see if I get a natural 20 right now. Hero point for the one time. Natural fucking 15. 
close. Okay, so he fails to trick the magic item and then just is just like looking at the wand like, fuck. And we'll go back into his bag of tricks. Telekinetic projectile. Let's go. Does to the uh, one on the right. There's no way. Does there's the two no luck way. free action drop the wand? Even no. if he does, even if he does free action. Oh, because like, I have two. two. Oh wait, Sorry, wait. I, trick magic item is one item, one action. I don't know if it takes your other two actions. No, it doesn't. Okay, then yeah, you're good. Sorry, I'll shut the fuck up. Yeah, uh, James, you are correct because I do need one hand to cast spells. So also, Azori has a plus ten to nature. Tulak thro- <laughs> uh, drops the wand of quench behind him, and then casts telekinetic projectile. And we bury the lead with all this conversation because I roll the fucking natural twenty on this nice. for a thirty-seven <laughs> to hit. Did you amp it? Okay. <laughs> not a psychic. Mm, not a psychic. No. Uh, <laughs> okay, no psychic. Sorry. Uh, which which one are you targeting? The one on the right hand side. Okay, one that's bleeding. Uh, yeah, let's get the crit in. What do you got? And that is going to be for a forty points of bludgeoning damage as a stone from the crack in the ceiling comes down upon its head. Hot Shut's damn! Uh, all right, lump. Big old uh, hit just, just slammed this creature in front of you. Did the did the frighten fall off? Oh yes. You needed to make the will save uh, against oh, I, the sword. Oh, I need to make the yeah. That's right. Let me just double check that. Yeah, it fell off. Okay. Uh, I will first action attempt to trip a bitch. Okay. Uh, that is a twenty nine. Uh, that is a meat to beat. Perfect. Uh. With my second action, my shifting. Oh wait, real quick. Sorry, I need to change things in here. Uh, so Lump will uh, attempt to trip the creature with a twenty-nine to trip. Uh, yep, that's uh, beat to beat. Okay, uh, and we'll bring back their Morning Star and slam it on their. Uh, actually, with fly, we'll move five, ten feet to flank with Krukka, and we'll bring okay. down the Silver Morning Star uh, for a twenty-two hit. Uh, that is a miss, even while prone. Uh, you want to hero point that? Uh, <laughs> you know what? I have three. Yeah, fuck it. I will. Might as well. I rolled a natural one, and I drop my weapon into the lava, and it burns mercilessly into the ground. <laughs> well, no, it is no, I know, you, but, but that, you yeah. got that out of the way at least. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I will try again at a map minus ten, a twenty-one to hit will miss, and you know what? I regret that last hit, but I guess I will swing again and hope for the best. Another natural one. Ooh, okay. We love it here, and I'm Yikes. done. I just love it. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. Izori, what can you add to the mix? <laughs> Izori, with her first two actions, she's going to try out a new spell that she just learned from a scroll as she targets the Irenes directly in front of Krukka. She's going to cast okay. Paralyze. Uh, this oh, does have the incapacitation trait, and it okay. is a will save. It is a will save. Okay, so this is a level four spell. Yeah, it's heightened to four. 
Okay, I rolled a 32. 32 is a success. You are stunned one. Okay, stunned Uh, one. Doesn't it make it one better? Uh, No. Incapacitation? More than double, not more than double. Uh, (laughs) Cam's tagline. I'll shut the fuck up. Uh, (laughs) uh, The uh, Aranus that was knocked over by Lump is going to uh, stand up with its first action, which sucks. Why doesn't Krukka have attack of opportunity? <laughs> I know. And that is going to uh, fly uh, towards the southern part of the chamber. Krukka's going to follow with distance. no escape. For the record, Azorian's oh, last <laughs> action was to take cover. Oh, sorry. Oh, my, my, my. <laughs> um, good call. Uh, and, uh, this creature is going to, uh, shit, following me, you bastard. Um, (laughs) it's going to turn on you as you follow it. It's just going to turn on you and is going to cast, um, it's going to drop its bow as well and spend the next action drawing a sword because that's pretty much all it's got. Yeah. Dropping the bow into the magma. Not, not a care in the world. Uh, and that's going to come to, uh, let's see. Uh, I'm going to take some damage here from the bleed. I uh, take four damage and uh, fail the persistent check. So, Krukka, you're up. You just followed this creature. <laughs> <laughs> so, Krukka in midair drops the uh, returning light hammer. It shoots back onto his back and he changes the grip on his butchering axe. Okay. Takes a swing, 21 to hit. That's going to be a hero point. 22 to hit. Fuck. Uh, that is a miss. <laughs> okay, we're going to try that again at a map minus 5. 19. Ouch, that was some shitty oh. rolling. But at How least are I'm you rolling so struggling. poorly? Like, goddamn. Because I'm overexcited. I'm all... Okay, you're going to take uh, 5. That's including your uh, resistance fire damage. So roll me a recovery check, okay. please. And it's... 18. Okay, you're good. Very good. Uh... And the uh, Aranus that is floating over the, or still standing on the pedestal, um, is going to float up into the air and uh, head towards Krukka, flanking now. It's going to swing the flaming longsword for a 27 to hit. That is. And you're going to take 16 slashing, and that's it. Man, I'm really mitigating the damage here. Uh, second swing for another natural 20. Uh, no, they're stunned. Oh, they're stunned. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. Bats. Here's a fun that fact about the paralyzed spell. Stunned has a value instead of oh. a duration. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, because it still falls bad. off like slowed though, right? So it's like once Correct. I've spent it. It's gone again, so it's it's fallen off, but it's still fucked that turn up so Fuck badly. Yeah. God damn it. Uh, all right, two lock, what do you got? The what the air just right next to you is looking rough, by the way. Would I know if from checks that we've done, if um they take negative damage? Um like- Yeah, uh yeah, you you would think they do, yep. So Tulak reaches out and grabs onto the arm of this Uranus and purple magic kind of starts to wrap and then 
something looks like it's sucking out of the Uranus into Tulok. Um, but do a fortitude save, please. Oh, okay, I don't know what's going on here, uh, but I'm scared. Uh, rolled not great, 25. That is a fail. Tulok has casted uh, Vampiric Touch at fourth level. Duh. So you take 32 points of void damage. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then I get 16 points of temporary hit points. Wow. Okay, this thing is on death's door. Do you have anything else? And then Tulok will cast Guidance on Krukka. Uh Okay, Guidance on Krukka. Lump. Lump will shoot an intimidating glare at the northwest uh, Aranius of Krukka okay. to de- attempt to demoralize. All right. Uh, we'll roll a 34 to frighten it. Uh, okay, that succeeds. Frightened one. And then we'll command it to drop its longsword into the magma. I need a whistle okay. from you. <laughs> All right. Uh, 24. Uh, that is a meat to beat. So Oof. for the first action on its next turn, the creature must use a single action to do as you command, which is drop your longsword into the magma. <laughs> so, and no success? What? That that the oh on a success the creature is unaffected. God damn it! Uh, no, it was be... saved by its plus one to saves against all magic. No! <laughs> my friend um, did nothing. Oh, that uh, is my turn. Izori. Izori will stand from her position behind the altar and cast Aqueous Blast with her first action. Okay. <laughs> With her second action, she yeah. will target the frightened Irenes. Uh, okay. Flanking Krukka. That's a 27 to hit. Okay, you don't want to go with the, for the one that's at death's door? Okay. Uh, 27, that's a hit. That is 11 points of bludgeoning. Okay. And then she will turn to the next one and target with... Uh, okay. Map minus <laughs> 5. That is a 20 to hit. That's a miss. That's all three actions. All right. Uh, next up is the one that is struggling. Uh, is going to take uh, a quick swing at Krukka uh, with its flaming sword. 21 to hit. Nope. Is going to uh, turn around, uh, carry that swing through and try and hit Tulok. 16 to hit. Nope. Not looking good at all. And then is going to um, attempt to, uh, let's see fly to the other side of the room here to try and get to a different vantage point. Krukka just on its heels. Uh, And as it rolls uh, through, uh, as it tries to fly across and Krukka's just keeping pace, you can see it struggling. Its wings just like, you know, kind of bleeding and it can't really seem to keep its own flight. And it literally just like as it's going towards the wall on the opposite side, just sort of like fumbles in the air, smashes into the wall, and falls into the magma. It just boom, it hits the surface of it like a thud, and then slowly starts to fall into it. Um, and it's Krukka's turn. Oh, I guess that bleed must have taken it out, huh? 
Okay, so Krucka will just give it a give the northeast or the one remaining um, creature uh, three action ring of the ram. Bay Bay. Okay. Fortitude save, please. Fortitude save. Thirty four. Ooh, that was really good. Unaffected. Okay, unaffected. That's my turn. Uh, it's that creature's turn who just watches its ally fall into the wall and into the magma, knowing the magma would probably not hurt it, but that fall means it must be dead. And it kind of looks at around, seeing it surrounded, lump at its back, Krucka at the front, these two casters that are just messing things up, and turns its bow to the ceiling. It just launches a furious fusillade at the ceiling. Boom, 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 hitting that crack with all the water and this like dunk, 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 dunk. And the water starts to leak down re- like suddenly very fast. And you can see the spider crack in the ceiling just ex- just shoot out in all directions. I don't like this And that's what all. we're going to call it. No, you son of a bitch. Ah, <laughs> getting steamy. Turn down the volume. <laughs> and that's the end of episode 99. And we are going to take a big old break from this scenario to do our episode 100 sort of celebration. And I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, It's going to be a bit of an offshoot, but it's going to be very connected to everything we're doing. And just to get you started for that, I want to leave you with a very, very short scene. The peaceful sound of the sea breaking past the bow of a schooner lazily sailing through the inner sea, is broken by a polite cough from Chronic, the Hobgoblin, first mate of the Pashman Lancier. Captain, pardon the interruption, but we're nearing the port of Absalom. It may perhaps be in our best interest to stow the cargo we (laughs) liberated from Quanchum. Absalom isn't exactly a subtle place, and we absolutely do not want word heading back to the council of our less-than-approved free-market intentions. The woman turns and lowers her kamal. She tucks it into a small chest near the whipstaff and into its place next to her prized spyglass. She adjusts her large hat so the brim sits neatly above her eyes, and with a gloved hand, brushes a bit of her hair back into its place beneath it. As you say, Chronic. Chronic nods curtly, knowing the job that needs to be done, and turns to be about his work. Best to have their goods stowed by daybreak. Chronic, I am unsure of what calls me back to Kortos, and I am more unsure of how long this business will take of me. Well, I am ashore, I wish for the Lancier to be locked down. Only you or myself aboard. Not the guards, and certainly not the Star Watch. We will pay our docking fees from the reserve coffers if we have to. Should this business take me into Neth, you are to bring the crew back aboard. The same crew, not a single new face. And Breakwater, Gregorian, 
I will send you the name of our current associate of House Tillernos if I find that I will not be able to return in time. After you make the trade in Agorian, you will sail to Maniket, where you will be paid well for the trade where you will be paid well enough to return here and wait out until I am able to return. Chronic nods with a frown and sets about getting the crew to work. The late afternoon sun ekes gently into the window of the guiding star. A smaller tavern nestled near the border of the coins and the docks. With just a single white six-pointed star on a deep blue field hanging above the door, Raphael knew this was the place to be. He trusted his now amply gorged gut. With a deep sigh of contentment, the shuni pushes his plate and empty mug toward the center of the small table and leans back into the old wooden chair. It creaks in response as Raphael gets it to balance on the back legs and he licks his lips and rubs his tummy. The bell above the door rings, and through it slips a lithe woman in her middle years, wearing a deep purple doublet and large hat with its brim tilted low. The keeper calls a greeting, but does not attend as they are currently occupied with clearing one of the empty tables in the establishment. Izori glides over to the only occupied table, with the stuffed shooty seated at it, and pulls out the other chair. She takes the seat across from him, her eyes tracing a shimmering steel urn just below the window. Her eyes glass up momentarily, but she manages to steal herself before speaking. Master Shuni, I believe you have a delivery from Otari for me. Raphael's eyes widen and he slowly lowers the chair back down on all fours. He raises an eyebrow in question, and the tattoo of a spiral around his right eye pulses it to life, glowing a gentle pale blue. One hand slowly, almost casually, reaches behind his back to fix upon the gilded hilt of one of his ceremonial daggers, hidden beneath his leather breastplate. I mean you no harm. She gently places a gloved hand on the steel urn, and draws a finger down it with a sad smile. Raphael's breath catches, and he lets out a name with a faint whisper. Izori. Izori gives a near imperceptible nod. So you do know me. I take it this is mine. Izori's hand closes on the urn as she lifts it from the table. Her expression saddens as she turns the urn in her hands. Very kind of you to use the head of his axe as the material of the urn. You'd appreciate the irony, I think, of being contained in an item that caused so many others to fall. He always was partial to that unconventional weapon. Raphael offers only a small nod of his own. How did you know where to find me? Raising her head to look around the room, at the ceiling even, as if it were a night sky above her. 
She simply says, I found a guiding star. Finding it impossible not to smirk, Raphael replies, You are going to get along famously with Rin. Mizori gives Raphael a quizzical look. Raphael sighs, orders a bottle of Talden brandy, and tells Azori the tale of Samal Keth, exactly as he heard it from Sage Tulak. The story of a simple Otari merchant, who when was called upon to do the right and good thing, heeded that call. Then, when Phrasma asked more of him, he willingly gave his life to save Physic the Slouch, the unconventional healer and son of Otari, and Sage Tulak, the stoic and powerful occultist. The story concludes with the first bottle of brandy and many tears from Azori, some of joy, some of grief. Azori orders a bottle of Kadiran wine, the same cheap stuff her and Samal would drink on the bow of the ship late into the evening, cuddled under the stars and drifting into each other's arms. Azori followed Raphael's story in kind. She told him yarns of how they barely survived an encounter with House Henderthane and how Samal lost a finger in the battle. She then fell into the story of when they smuggled a liberated Azerketi refugee from Gebezir through the eye of a Bendigo, where he first saw a boarding axe, and closed with a drinking contest in Almus, where she almost lost the Pashman Lancier, but he managed to convince the owner of the bar in question to let her keep her ship in exchange for a shipment of rare Talden whiskey. The two talked well into the evening, and Raphael finally, on their third bottle, began to tell Azori of the inspiring tales of his uncle Arfur about the menace under Otari and the troubles he helped to solve before his retirement. She listened intently, taking it all in, but quickly made up her mind of what she would do with her next steps. And so I find myself in Absalom, where I hope my knowledge and ability to research can bear fruit. I must uncover more of this Belcora and the mysteries that the Gonlight hold. I hold out hope that one of the descendants of a surviving journal, a diary, something that can be used against this fiend. She's upsetting the delicate balance, and Farasma compels me to do all that I can. Reviewing Raphael's accounts in her head, Izori's concern for the road ahead of her returns. It's just the two of them against this menace, the sage and the slouch. Raphael looks down at his sausage roll with a guilty look upon his face. To the best of my knowledge, yes. Izori puts a finger to his chin and gently lifts his head to meet her gaze. Then it is settled. You know your path, and the guiding star has led me to mine. I will take up arms against this foe and do everything in my power to honor the convictions of my beloved Samal. Her hand gently caresses the urn, a deep sadness welling up inside her, but also some excitement. Izori finds herself a roiling pot of emotions, sadness, grief, rage, nostalgia, and now she knows exactly where to focus it. As did he... I will see this Belcora vanquished, 
or give my life to the cause. Master Shuni, I thank you with my whole heart for taking such good care of my beloved. I wish you could have known him. A sense of purpose and pride welling up within him, Raphael matches Izori's boldness. I do know him. Or part of him, at least. He lives on in the memory of the peoples of Otar. But he thrives, burns with life within you, Capitan. Izori stands, urn in hand, and bows deeply to Raphael. She kisses the Shuni gently on the cheek before turning to leave. The guiding star has shown her the path to her fate and the troubles in Otari. Leaning his chair back onto the hind legs, Raphael loosens his belt and lets out a light shudder as the pit of his stomach overworks to digest his feast. A few crumbs on his cloak fall to the floor as he turns to the bar and the gentle raising of his mug addresses the barkeep. Sir, perhaps a digestive. Come and ride up. And maybe one more of those delicious rolls? his belly rumbling in protest. That's when a man quickly plops down in a chair at the table. Raphael turning towards him, startled, nearly tumbling backwards, the man catches the back of the chair and eases him forward. My apologies, Master Shuni. Did not mean to give you a fright. The barkeep soon after sets down another mug of ale in a steaming sausage roll with a chuckle. I'll get that. And the man tosses a gold coin to the barkeep. Much obliged, sir. Raphael, torn between confused curiosity at the man and the wafting spicy aromas from his roll, begrudgingly settles on the man. You've come from Otari, is that right? A sidelong glance at the table, Raphael replies, That's right. Are you familiar to me? The name's Delarice. Galt Delarice. And I have some questions for you. And we'll see you at episode 100. (laughs) Freeman, you son of a bitch. (laughs) Stemming the Tide is an actual play podcast of the Adventure Path Abomination Vaults and is produced by the Uncharted North Network. Stemming the Tide uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Paizo Inc., used under Paizo's community use policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. Stemming the Tide is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Paizo. For more information about Paizo Inc. and Paizo products, visit paizo.com. Music is composed by Will Savino and artwork by Greyhood. Stemming the Tide is recorded remotely using Foundry Virtual Tabletop. If you wish to connect with us or support this project and projects to come, we can be found at unchartednorth.ca, patreon.com slash unchartednorth, and on all major social media platforms. Links to all credits can be found in the episode description and our website. Thanks for tuning in.